on as always today five o'clock adult choir practice in here uh, with Catherine at six o'clock our deacons will meet in here children's choir in the children's building and the marriage class will meet at six in the Miller Didson room for class number 10 this is the end of the Paul Tripp series on marriage it's been very helpful and grateful for all who attended if you haven't made one yet tonight at six you still got time to make one. They all stand alone to a degree, and they're, they're excellent. Then at 7 o'clock, um, we'll have our church conference in here this evening as well. So that's what's going on today. Gavin and Ellie are getting married next Saturday at 2 o'clock. So let's be in prayer for Gavin and Ellie and their family. Congratulations in advance, right? Next weekend is a big weekend. Um, next Sunday morning... We will observe communion as part of our worship service. Then that evening at 6 o'clock, our students are having a back-to-school bash at uh, our house at 305 Stewart Street. There will be a water slide, wiffle ball, and cookout. So students, youth, uh, please make note of that. And then soccer is beginning again. On August the 23rd, we're having our evaluation registration evening, and you can register online. If you or your family are interested at all in soccer, coaching, helping, playing, um, these cards are on the Welcome Center there, um, on the table in the Welcome Center. So if you have any questions, you can let me know. Uh, Bryson's out of town today, so children or youth questions, you can shoot those to me as well. The Whittemores are sick today, but we are grateful to have Miss Joyce on piano and Miss Becky Carlisle. Is on the organ, so we are grateful for both of them uh, subbing this morning. So Jackie Wayne's going to come, one of our deacons, and uh, read scripture and lead us in prayer. Hey, why don't we all stand? Let's move a little and uh, be ready for the, the word of God in, in prayer through Mr. Jackie. Thank you, brother, for doing that. Morning. Okay, when, uh, first of all, before I forget, I'm reading from Psalms 100. When Pastor Neil called me and asked me about it or whatever, I got to thinking. I had to memorize that, Psalms 100, when I was in the first grade. We had to do Psalms 100 and Psalms 23. And it kind of, you know, brought back a lot of memories or whatever, thinking about that, trying to remember, remember it. And, uh, but I got to thinking about it as far as just the difference. I, I guess I was six, seven years old. And then... I reread it to when, when he uh, called me about it and got to thinking about it, and I said, man, if you really start digging, it's deep. God's Word is deep. Anyway, so um, like the 100th Psalm, it's five verses, and it's got four verbs that kind of tells us what we need to do as far as worshiping God. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I, I want you to just kind of listen to this and really think about it. It says, the first is shout. For joy to the Lord, all the earth. The second one is worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. The third one is know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. And some uh, translations say uh, we, we didn't do it ourselves. We are not made by ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter, that's the, the fourth one, enter into his gates. And I'm going to put a little southern on that. Gates, we can kind of think of that as in the yard. Come into the yard. And then with praise, 
and then uh, into, I'm sorry, into gates with thanksgiving, and into his uh, court, which is basically like what we'd think of as the front porch. Come on over and sit down. And in his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And then kind of broke it down. I'm just going to read. I wrote this, but I just wanted to think, uh, make sure I don't miss anything. It says, Psalms 100 is an exhortation. In other words, an urging for us to praise God, to lay everything aside that hinders us and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. God doesn't care if we sing or squeak as long as we're opening our mouths and giving him praise with a cheerful and glad heart. And if we think about that and meditate on that, I mean, God's even laying it out for us how we need to come before him. And this morning we started all right with singing and, and praising him. So let's continue. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning, just thanking you and praising you. Father, we just ask that you open our ears, minds, and hearts, Father, just to, just to receive what you want us to get from being with you today. And as always, we give you the honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stay standing, we're going to start with Seek Ye First.
going to sing a song this morning that lots of y'all probably know from the radio, so you're welcome to sing with us, but we picked this because of a story um, Pastor Neil told last week in his sermon, so you can see if you can remember that story while we sing this morning. song. I love that, that just, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And usually, um, while my guitar player's getting down here, usually during FCA every school year, um, I do the national theme, like whatever it is. But I didn't go to camp this year because, well, I was getting married. But this, um, last year, at the very end of the year, does anybody watch Blue Bloods? 
Nobody watches Blue Bloods? Well, Tom Selleck is, you know, he's just Tom Selleck. Need you to say more. And in one of the episodes, he said to one of his grandkids, he said, you know who you are. Be that person. I thought, ooh, that's good. That's real good. So that's what my FCA shirts are going to say this morning. I mean this year. You know who you are. Be that person. And we're going to lock into that being children of God and what that looks like um, as students. But I just wanted to encourage all of y'all that this morning because we're all children and we never outgrow being a child of God. But sometimes we tend to outgrow having that childlike faith that we're called to have. So we stand with me this morning and with that thought in your mind, let's sing the desert song together.
prayer this morning. I will bring together this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just a beautiful morning of worship, God. Lord, beginning with Psalms 100, God, where we are just reminded that we are we are declared and, and we are supposed to, um, you just tell us in your word, God, that we are supposed to worship and shout um, and seek you, God, Lord, and enter your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts, God. And, Lord, if there's anybody in here this morning, God, we, we come in stressed and burdened with, with so many things that we're finding it hard to just give thanks for being here, God. Will you just remove those things from us this morning, God? May we just lay them down on your altar and leave them there, God. And um, we can do that because we're your children and you want to hear from us, God. But we're a cup that's always going to be emptied only to be filled again, God. We can only fill that cup with you, Lord. So may we seek you first this morning um, in your kingdom to be filled with your presence and to be filled with um, just your mission to go, God. And may you equip each one of us with what we need for the week through this passage we look at in Luke this morning. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, thank you, Catherine. If the rest of us turn to Luke chapter 20, we are still verse by verse in Luke's gospel, beginning with verse 19. After the parable of the vineyard, which we studied last Sunday morning, the opponents of Jesus, rather than responding to the parable of the vineyard with faith, and devotion, and surrender, and worship of Christ, they fulfill what the parable said the opponents would do. They would beat the son, they would kill the son, they would run the son out so that they could have the owner's inheritance. So the context is the parable of the vineyard that goes through verse 18. So I want to conclude with two verses, 17 and 18, that serve as a bridge to this morning's message, which begins in verse 19, and the title today is Death and Taxes. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? Death and Taxes, two things that it has been said that none of us can escape, two certain things, death and taxes. And you'll know why later. Uh, I've titled that, this sermon that. But Catherine's song reminded me of two truths. Number one, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
What a truth. The second one, and, and, and in Hebrews, it, it comes right after that. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. That song we just sang, I don't know, it just it, it reminded me of those truths. Okay, Luke chapter 20, verse 17. But he looked at them, and he said, What then is this that is written? Quote from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Christ is rejected, but he remains the chief foundation and cornerstone of of everything. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So, Jesus is telling us there is a righteous way to respond to him and there's an unrighteous way to respond to Christ. So look at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests, this just makes them angrier and more hostile. They get more truth, but rather than that truth melting them like wax, it hardens them like clay. So then they try to lay hands on him that very hour. They try to seize Jesus. They feared the people. For they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to Deliver him up to the rule and authority of the governor. They want him killed. So they've got a plot. They've got a scheme. So in verse 21, they think they are putting him on the spot. They question him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and you are not partial to any." but teach the way of God in truth. And I'm thinking, if they really know that and believe that, then why don't they surrender to him and follow him? So this is all flattery. But isn't it interesting that in their flattery, they are speaking absolute truths. He does speak and teach correctly. He doesn't show partiality. He does teach the way of God in truth. So here's the question, verse 22. And it is a loaded question. This is a political dilemma for almost everyone of this particular day and time. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he says yes, then there's a large group of people who will be angry with him because they believe that paying taxes to Caesar is wrong and blasphemous. Only God is king. Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' disciples, would have, would have felt that way. He, he had felt that way. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? If Jesus says yes, there's a group of people angry. If he says no... Ah, then he's in trouble with Rome because they are in power. And isn't it interesting that Jesus had a follower of his, Matthew the tax collector, who worked for Rome and would have represented that side of the equation. 
Simon the Zealot would have represented the other side of the equation, and they both are now followers of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? But look at verse 23. He detected their trickery, which is not surprising. And he said to them, show me a denarius. Show me a coin. So I guess somebody reached in their pocket. Hey, you got a quarter I can borrow? You remember those questions in school and everybody's digging around? Someone pulls out a denarius. And Jesus says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Ah, but here's the higher truth. Here's the first priority. Render to God the things that are God's. They were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people and marveling at his answer. They became silent. We will never, ever win an argument against Jesus, ever. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its wisdom. Thank you for its truth. Thank you that Christ is the cornerstone. He is our foundation. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. So what's at stake here is the relationship between the state, whatever state that may be, and the kingdom of God where we know God is the true king who rules and reigns and is sovereign over the whole universe. So... There is a lot here, but what I want us to see today and what I want us to think about is what is our primary responsibility as human beings? What should we render first to God? What should we render first to God? Now, all of us think all the time about the horizontal debts we owe. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. We talk a lot about who we owe and also who owes us on a horizontal scale, a horizontal plane. But isn't it interesting that in the wisdom of Jesus, he flips this question, and rather this question becoming a trap, it actually becomes a springboard to the higher truth that if we will think first about our responsibilities to God, that will set everything else in its proper order. So he is saying, what image is on that coin? Now, it's interesting that on a denarius at this particular time, there would have been a likeness just like on our quarters and nickels. The likeness on this particular coin would have been Tiberius Caesar. 
And then there would have been an inscription on that that said this, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So at the moment, on that coin was Tiberius Caesar and a message that he was the son of the divine. Now let's back up and I'll explain a little bit more about why that's important. But what I want us to think about this morning, and I told the sound and visual committee back there in the back that when I got in, they're like, we've looked over your notes and we're not sure what points to put up on the screen. And some of you get my notes through email, some of you don't, some of you don't care, whatever, you know. But they care back there and they're trying to figure out how how are you going to deliver this because when we looked through your notes at one point we saw eight things and that's terrifying to everyone. But I told them that on my way to church this morning, I really feel like I've got so much to share. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it like this so that I can preach it and, and you can grasp it in a, what's hopefully an, an easy way. So, so let's think about what we are to render to God, what we are to give to Him, what we owe Him, what, what He is worthy of. And let's think about it like this. Let's think first Why do we render to God? Then I want us to think about what we are to render to God. And then we're going to close with how we render to God the things that are God. So let's talk first about why is it that we are to render to God the things that are God? Well, Jesus explains it. Why should we put him first? And why should we render to God the things that are God? Well, he's God. (laughs) But think about the coin. On that coin was an image. So Jesus is implying you should render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's because when you pull out the coin, obviously Rome has printed the money. Rome has the currency. They've got in place as a state the roads and the government. They're the ones that are in charge in the here and now. That's why your money has that in, in your pocket. But what about you? What image is stamped upon you? And what image is stamped upon me? The image of God. We are all created in the image of God. He is our owner. He is our creator. He is our king. He is our Lord. So we pay taxes to the state and all the benefits we enjoy as citizens of the state. But there is a higher power. There is a higher king and a higher Lord. And we know that because the Bible tells us every single one of us have stamped upon our heart and life the very image of God. The other thing, and Jesus implies this also, I think, based on the parable of the vineyard, he is the Son of God the divine Son whom God has sent, who himself bears the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the coin didn't just have a picture. The coin had a message. And the message was, Augustus was was divine and Tiberius Caesar was his divine son. Whoa. No. Jesus is the Son. And he's the son 
in the parable of the vineyard who is brutalized and murdered and cast out so that the vine growers can be their own God and be their own sovereign. So we are thinking through the why. And I've just given you the why. Some of it. We are created in his image. A turtle on top of a fence post didn't get there by itself. Here we are in this world. It's the Lord who's made us and not we ourselves. And then God has come down in the person of his son to communicate to us who he is and what we are required to give to him. Now, back up a couple of weeks ago, um, some of you know that this summer, the Queen of England celebrated 70 years in her position, which is absolutely remarkable, isn't it, in today's time and place. Now, my friend and fellow pastor, Alistair Begg, whom I've met in person, by the way, some of you know that, I was so happy. He put out a nice letter about this because that's where he's from. He's a subject of the queen. And I think what he says in this letter helps us put, put these two things together. How do we relate the state that we live in to the kingdom of God and the fact that he is our creator and we are in his image and Jesus is his divine son? And he says this. The queen has lived successfully in the public eye for 70 years, causing us to wonder at the source of her strength. The Christian Institute reported in an article for Parliament News, Lord Michael Farmer credited the queen, listen to this, credited the queen's faithfulness to her position and constancy in public life to guess what? Her devotion to God. You ever seen that meme? She thinks she's the queen, and we're the sorry people. <laughs> Did I lose you there? Crystal knows what I'm talking about because we've talked about this. Anyway, forget I said that. Her devotion to God comes first. Here it is. The answer lies in her continuous confession of her trust and reliance on Jesus, her Savior, and God as her Father. Listen to this. There is only one person she addresses as your majesty. And that is Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords. She is the queen who has a king. Her identity, like all who trust in Jesus, flows not from wealth, not from social status, but from her union with Christ. How different her response to Jesus than the opponents of Jesus in the parable of the vineyard and the opponents of Christ today. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. We are created in His image. And His divine Son has told us that what we owe to God, what we should render to God, is this. We should glorify and honor Him with our lives and we should love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So then I ask the question. 
How have we done in what we should render to God? We have all failed miserably. As I read through the parable of the vine growers, I've treated the Word of God, and I've treated the prophets, and I've treated Christ, the beloved Son, in many ways like the vine growers and opponents of Jesus treated Him. And just to cut to the chase, who put Christ on the cross? Well, in some sense, it was you and me. In fact, it's been said that you cannot see the cross as something done for you until you see the cross as something done by you. We fail to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we have hated him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we hate our neighbors as we hate ourselves. We have reversed it and violated the law of God, and we owe him everything in worship, honor, and devotion, yet you and I have nothing of which to pay. My righteousness and my currency is no good because my, my righteousness is this, is this filthy laundry, the Bible says. I can't come before God with anything in me. It's all tainted. It's all sinful. It's all fallen. And I'm still dealing with the why we render to God. We don't render to God what we have in order to save ourselves because we cannot. But what has God done for us in Christ? The beloved son came down, and he fully paid our debt. He lived the righteous life we could never live, so that we might be forgiven. So the why we render to God is not just, hey, we've all been created in his image. And number two, Jesus is the image of God as his beloved son. But number three, because of the gospel, because of love. Why do I render to God what is due God? Man, because he's created me, but also because he saved me. So that's a game changer, because now it means that I give to God not to earn anything or merit anything. I give to God because of what he has first given to us in the sacrifice and the resurrection of his son. This changes the dynamic of what we owe to God in an amazing way. Because now it's not to earn salvation, now it's to give thanks for our salvation. So all of us are guilty. None of us have rendered to God what he is worthy of in and of ourselves. I really think it would be helpful if you and I would remember what we talked about in Luke chapter 15. That every single one of us should approach God with this attitude. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Or if you like, all of us should have to go in front of the class or in front of the church and write on the board a hundred times, I am the chief of sinners. <laughs> I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Do they still write sentences in school? I don't know. Probably not. But wouldn't it help us in our gratitude and our worship and our devotion if you and I would remind ourselves of what the Apostle Paul realized the gospel had done for him? He said at the end of his life, 
I'm the chief of sinners. And when Paul got to heaven, it's been said that the first people who would welcome Paul into heaven were the martyrs of the faith that he had killed earlier in his life. That's amazing good news. So why do we render back to God the things that are, uh, that are God's because of who He is, who we are, and what He's done for us in the cross of Christ and the resurrection? Now, I'm going to change gears a little bit. Well, what are we to render? I mean, if creation and the gospel is why we render to Him, then what specifically does He desire? Have you ever asked someone, well, just tell me what you want. Be specific. Make me a list. And then you work to fulfill those specific demands. Well, Scripture helps us here because another pastor friend of mine named John Stott, in a book called The Cross of Christ, he's got a little helpful section that if you're in my Wednesday evening and Sunday evening Bible studies, we've gone through this several times because it means a whole lot to me because I'm not always real specific and I need people to tell me in black and white, this is what you need to do. So in the cross of Christ, John Stott has a section that he lists, and here are the eight things. Eight specific things that you and I render back to God because of his amazing love for us. Every single one of them is mentioned in scripture very specifically as a spiritual sacrifice offered up to God through Christ Jesus, as 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, that you and I offer living sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. What are we to offer? What are we to render? First, our bodies. That comes straight from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of the mercies of God, present your bodies to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto Him, which is your spiritual form of worship, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you won't be squeezed into this world's mold, but instead... Live a life of reasonable service. So number one, your body, which includes your mind. Hey, look at our bodies. We're fallen. We're broken. But we're also beautiful and created in His image. Your eyes, your height, your size, your personality, the way you think, the way you're made up. All that's given to you by God. And because Christ gave his body for you, out of love and devotion, you give back to him. Now, earlier we mentioned that to the government, to the state, we really do owe our taxes. And what did I say the other part of that was? Death. Because of my sin, you and I owe God death. Because the wages of sin is death. What do we owe to God? We owe Him death. Ah, 
But the gospel tells us that beyond death through Christ is life. And God cares about this body. And so one part of the good news is that not only are you and I saved and forgiven, but we will have new bodies, glorified bodies, like the body of Jesus. So you give your body away now, knowing that you're wasting away outwardly, but inwardly you're renewed day by day. And one day our body will be like his. That motivates me to remember My body and my life is not my own. It's bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It is the temple of God himself. Now, you work out the implications in your own life for that. Number two. Hey, Mr. Jackie pointed this out. Your praise. Not only did God give you a body with a brain, he gave you a mouth, didn't he? Boy. You want to expose our sinfulness? What comes out of our mouths? Can both fresh water and salt water come out of the same mouth? Well, we're living proof that it may be so, but that doesn't make it right. Praise Him, worship Him, thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, 15, we're talking here about the fruit of our lips that confess His name. The fruit of our lips that confess it. Why has God given you a mouth to praise Him? And to love and encourage others. We could say a lot about that and all these. Number three, he gave me a body, I give it back to him. He gave me a mouth, I give it back to him. Hey, he also gave me a soul. I am a soul. This connects with number three, which is our prayers. The book of Revelation says our prayers, listen to this, this is interesting, they ascend to God like a fragrant incense. Have you ever noticed how a smell can permeate a house for good or bad? Golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God made you a living soul to communicate with God through prayer. You've been honest with yourself about your prayer life, praying for your enemies praying for frustrating situations. Have you ever noticed how when you pray about situations and people, it transforms how you feel about those situations and people? Because God is working in your heart and mind as you pray. So our bodies, our praise, our prayers. Number four, oh, listen, this, this is a whole message. A broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51, 17. A broken and contrite heart. God will never, ever refuse a broken and contrite heart. Brokenness. One thing we give back to God because he's given us a heart is the brokenness of our heart. Have you ever been crushed? Has your heart ever been broken? He is near the brokenhearted. Again, go to the classroom. Go up to the chalkboard and write on your heart every day, I am the chief of sinners. I am broken. Let's move on. Our faith, number five. If you're still taking notes, this is the list. God has given us the ability to trust. And when someone violates that trust, it, 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 it hurts deeply. But in what can we trust? In what should we trust? In what should we give our ultimate trust Paul calls to the Philippians 
their faith in God is a sacrifice and a service. Render to God the faith that He is due. Because His character is perfect. He's immutable. He's unchanging. There's no darkness in Him. There's no deception in Him. There's no shifting shadow in Him. Why do we struggle to trust other people? Because they're like these opponents. They're devious They're like the serpent of old, crafty and sneaky. And that's why Jesus sniffed this out. The serpent came to Adam and Eve from the very beginning, and he had this same type of plot, this same type of scheme. But what did Jesus do? He says, what do we owe to God first? The chief sin of the sinner is unbelief. Unbelief. Everything follows unbelief. All sin follows unbelief. Without faith... It's impossible to please God. The one who comes to him must believe not only that he is, but that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. To lack faith in God is offensive to his holy, perfect, righteous character. Are you rendering to him your faith, your trust? Are you constantly pulling God and his word aside and rebuking it? Peter had to be corrected here. Peter, you have in mind the things of man, not of God. And Peter was saying, don't go to the cross. That's foolishness. He took God's word aside and he rebuked it. Peter's growing. He grew. He was restored. And he offered faith. Number six, our gifts and good deeds. The Philippians took up an offering. They sent it through Paul, excuse me, to Paul through Epaphroditus. And the Bible says this offering, this financial offering, rose up to God as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I'll just cut to the chase. Your gifts, your good deeds, the things you do in service and love for other people, they matter to God. They are a sacrificial offering to God. Yes, we're expressing love to people created in God's image, But when you do good deeds, they rise up to God like a fragrant, pleasing aroma. Again, not to save yourself, but we are saved for good works. We are saved for good deeds. We offer them to God. And he is pleased through Jesus Christ. Then number seven. You still with me? Only two more. Our life poured out like a drink offering. That's from 2 Timothy 4, 4.6. Paul said he surrendered and gave his whole life as a drink offering at the end of his life to God. Paul is saying, I looked at my life and the time God gave me and I gave it back to him. And a life poured out. Hey, Tuesday we were at our fellowship lunch at noon And Darrell Langley back there reminded us that he is in his sixth year of a new lease on life. Darrell had a transplant that gave him literally more time. And I want to thank Darrell for being a good example and illustration of when God gives you time, what do you do with it? God gave Paul time. Paul gave it to God in service and sacrifice. God has given Durell more time. He's leading and assisting and helping feed those who are hungry. That's pleasing to God. 
That is a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And then what is God calling you to do? The number eight, our offering of those who come to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. This is the go and make disciples side of it. This is the evangelism side of it. This is offering up to God through preaching and teaching and witnessing and ministering. This is offering up to God the good news that he's given to you, passing it on to others. And then this tells us that the Gentiles who came to faith through the ministry of Paul, they were offered up to God as an acceptable sacrifice. God was pleased and rejoiced in the offering up of the Gentiles to him. What a gift. God has given us influence. God has given you witness. Are you giving that to him? And will there be other people who come to faith in Christ because of something you share of him? That's the what. That's just a smidgen of the what. That's just the beginning of the what. It's all-encompassing. Look at that. Our bodies, our souls, our minds, our praise. That's enough good stuff to keep you and me busy the rest of our time here, isn't it? And if we will render to God these things, then all the other questions and all the other issues, the taxes and all the, 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 the problems and, and the, whatever it may be, if you render first to God the things that are God, everything that's left will have its proper place. So that's why we render and what we render, but how do we do it? Let me close with this. So Sunday night, we had an ice cream social. We had several gallons of homemade ice cream made for that social. Here's the kicker. We were giving away prizes and awards, not necessarily in things, but bragging rights. So we set up a committee, and that committee came back with their winners. And I really like what our brother Chuck Stevens did. What a creative way to make more people happy. We didn't just have one winner. We had several particular categories. So we had a category here that was a winner, then a category here that was a winner, then a category here that was a winner. And yes, my peppermint ice cream was one of the category winners. But Michelle Alexander, who's not here today, she was best overall. She was the winner, take all. She was the best of all the best. And you're thinking, Pastor Neil, what in the world does that have to do with how we live this out? And I'll tell you what it has to do with it. You see, if you look at these eight categories, and you think about what Jesus did, listen, with his body, with his praise, with his prayers, with his faith. You look at all eight categories, Christ got a perfect 10 in every category of what we are called to give back to God. 
Now, that's important for you and me because that means in my account before God, I have perfect righteousness credited because Jesus fulfilled perfectly what we owe to God. The other side of that is if Christ lives in me and he gave his body and his body was broken and his praise was perfect and his faith was strong and when he prayed, he prayed things like this, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And if he didn't hold on to his life and hold on to his glory, but he self-sacrificially poured out his life for us, if that same spirit lives in you and me, then that's the power for us in a selfish, fallen, hostile, opponents of Jesus kind of world. That's how you and I can be salt and light, and that's the power to live a God-glorifying life. So the gospel tells me that I'm forgiven, but it also empowers me to give back to God a pleasing life in all these dimensions. Jesus not only was Lord in every particular category, but he is Lord over all. And if he lives in us, then he will empower you progressively and it will take your whole life to make his character become our character. Stones connected to the living stone. Stones connected to the cornerstone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We pray that we have loved you through this hour with our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies. There is nothing we have and there is nothing in this universe that is not yours. Forgive us. For in our rebellion, trying to be owners and sovereigns instead of stewards and servants. In order for us to understand this and go against the grain of our sin in this world, we need your grace. Thank you for your redemptive grace, which not only forgives us, but changes us progressively through the course of life to render to you what is due you first. Now as we close our time together, help us to learn through the song we're about to sing. The love so amazing, so divine, demands our life, our soul, our all. Thank you, Father, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Isaac Watts, one of our favorite hymns, so instructive on what we are called to do. As we sing, you come.
Amen. What a joy to be here this morning. So glad to see all of you. Hey, a couple of things. Paul Sackerson, great to see you back, brother. We love you. Hey, you're limping, but you're still moving forward. Thank you for who you are and what you, and what you mean to us. I want to give you a few people to pray for. Billy Vaughn, I talked to him this morning. He's still really, really weak. So y'all pray for Billy and, and his strength. Johnny Dean, who a lot of us know, is at Emory uh, Hospital with a brain bleed. Let's pray for Johnny Dean and, uh, and his wife, Nancy. Then the family of Briggs Ingram, a small child who passed. And then the tenth that's out here was for Marvin McKenzie. That's Nancy McKenzie's husband. So if any of you are curious about, you know, what's that tent doing in our cemetery, that was... Uh, the McKenzie family. So y'all pray for, for Marvin. A- any other specific requests, Chuck? I, I saw that George Pope passed, and I, I really thought the world of him. He was a, a vet and always um, made me laugh. And I know he loved you. He gave you a hard time, Chuck, but he loved you, didn't he? <laughs> the family of George Pope. Um, y'all pray for pray for them. Any anything else? That is correct. That is correct. Pray for Gina Kingston, who has surgery on Friday. All right. Y'all have a blessed afternoon. Catherine, will you close us in prayer, please? Hey, busy afternoon. Choir at 5. Deacons meeting and Bible study will go on at the same time at 6. Neil said since he married me, I can lead the marriage class now. So three weeks in, and I'm going to teach y'all. I'm not going to teach anything. I'm going to read off the paper. Um, and then be in prayer. Um, teachers go back this week. And so next week, I encourage you, you know, if you have a one to get teachers here, because um, we've got a, we're going to have a special time of prayer for them. But get your students in here too, so they can start the Sunday um, before school worshiping. So just encouraging you with those two things. Let's sing the doxology as we leave. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You have a great week.